I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Woo. Oh, you said that all. I did it a little Sexy different this, this time. time. Yes, I was like, <laughs> yeah, let's change it up a bit. You'll have to forgive. I've had post-nasal drip for the past two weeks. Sexy! So I sound like I have a smoking problem when I do not. <laughs> I got my flu shot the other day, so I felt a little wonky, and then I'm getting my COVID booster Monday, so I have a feeling I'll be very wonky come Monday. Oh, yeah. I'm getting mine, too. So get your flu shots. And your COVID shots. (laughs) Yes. Rosie is just being an acrobat back there. I'm I'm so sorry for the laugh, Derek. You might need to go in and and cut that out. No. No, Leave it in. Rosie is being hilarious. Her cat is just Hannah sitting on her couch, and then all of a sudden, this little black bullet just <laughs> shoots up behind so, her, just straight up the wall. Rosie's vertical leap is pretty damn impressive. Like she has a very like she was a basketball <laughs> player in a past life, and so one of the books I have on my shelf has a fabric like bookmark. Yeah, and um, she's she's gonna fight it to the death. So she's gonna get it. She is, and I she's going to knock her. that entire shelf down on her head, and it's yes, going to be will. pretty that epic too. to see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to pimp out some stuff. Um, Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis is hosting its annual costume tour October 6th, 7th, and 8th. So this episode is going to come out just in time for you to get your tickets. Um, if you're going to be in Memphis. Um The theme this year is Memphis Musicians, or Memphis Music, sorry, and we're going to talk about a variety of musicians, songwriters, um, producers who are all buried at Elmwood. I will be there telling the story of Stagger Lee and how that is connected to Memphis and to Elmwood. I told you you were going to drop it on your head, you dummy. (laughs) Look, I'm glad she finished because I don't think I was going to make it through this episode if she didn't stop doing I actually have a video. I was recording her because it was oh so my hysterical. <laughs> we'll post it on the socials. I love how, like, I'm just telling this stuff and then you <laughs> said you were going to drop it on your head, dummy. <laughs> anyway, back to it. Stagger Yeah, so... Come on down to Soul of the City. Um, we are going to, of course, you'll enjoy the tour. Um, we have food trucks there this year with some really delicious treats. Any tamales? No, no tamales, <laughs> but we do have some Korean corn dogs and good Ooh, things like that. Nice. Yeah. Um, I love that food truck, so I'm very excited about it. Um, and there'll be a gift shop, so you can buy all your favorite cemetery merch. If you go to elmwoodcemetery.org, you can get your tickets. If you cannot be there for that event, you can stroll on up to the cemetery. Um, on October 28th, we're going to show the movie version of Soul of the City. Yes, it's a tour and a movie, um, along with Hocus Pocus. So you'll want to be there for that. Of course, you can't be there for that. <laughs> you can um, watch the movie online, and we'll have links to that. And then that Sunday, October 30th, I'm going to host my true crime tour of Elmwood Cemetery. Um, I hope that you join me for that one. It's going to be a ton of fun. And just like last year, I'm going to include a really terrible story that's extra gruesome because it's Halloween and I'm going to have some treat bags and I'm going to treat everyone like they're trick-or-treaters. Maybe I'll wear a costume. We'll see. 
You better. Yeah. So join me for that. Absolutely. Yes. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Heck yeah, it is. And this week we are covering urban legends, um, legendary people, local legends, local Local legends. legends. Thank you. I was like, what's my word? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Stories from hometowns that are um, a little weird. And I believe Luhu is going to kick us off. Yes. So I, as, as per usual, I struggled this week. I was going to do the Witch of Yazoo, but I just wasn't feeling it when I got, got into the research. And then apparently there's a three-legged lady ghost uh, near Columbus, Mississippi that looked interesting, but no, no, no. Today I'm going to be sharing the story of one Helen Scrimgower Johnstone Harris I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. That quite a name. I don't care that if middle I pronounced name is terrible. Yeah, I don't care if I pronounced it correctly. I'm sure she was a lovely person, but she owned slaves and she oh, made some really her. fucking bad decisions in her life. So. Yeah, she did. We'll get to it. So we're not giving you any background. We're She's going to haunt us now. That's I'm fine. Sure, I'm sure she is. On. She's already haunting two places, allegedly. Two. Um, so she was knew about one well yeah so there's been sightings of her in two locations so okay tell me or somebody that might be her so helen johnstone was born on may 21st 1839 to parents john and margaret johnstone in north carolina in 1840 the family moved to what was then called livingston mississippi today that town is madison mississippi a wealthy suburb of the state capital of Jackson, which is in a water crisis right now. Somebody we shit. worked at the college newspaper with is from Madison and told me once he was going to name his first daughter Madison because he loved his hometown that much. Oh, God. You're going to have to text me and tell me who that was. Uh, you're going to have to put that in the messenger because I need to know too. I don't remember yeah. his name. It's a, our sports editor. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! I know exactly. Yeah, no, that was yeah, my you first know guess. That was, my, that was my very first guess, but I was like, no, maybe does, not. Maybe not. Does no, not it surprise tracks. me. Yeah, it tracks. He's a good guy, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So these pup people were fucking rich. I can't even go into all the different plantations that they owned or na- that were named in this story. I don't care. If you want to learn about these fancy ass homes, you are more than welcome to Google that shit. I'm yep. just going to stick to the, the ghost story and the people that I guess I don't know what else, are <laughs> I part of you. the ghost story. You. You, you get it. You, you know, <laughs> We what, don't became, hear about... what became the legend of the yeah. bride of Annandale. So John and Margaret began planning their dream home, which was going to be called Annandale. But John died suddenly in 1848, which did not deter Margaret. Oh. She and Helen moved forward with completing the home. And the widow Johnstone even had the Episcopal Chapel of the Cross built in her husband's memory. And this was consecrated in 1852. The mansion itself wasn't completed until 1859 when Helen and Margaret moved in. I didn't do a lot of research into this because I didn't really care. Um, (laughs) But apparently Helen had an older sister who was significantly older than her because she got married and had her own plantation. And her only real purpose in this story is, I guess, Helen was, they were staying with her. 
1855 when Helen met a dashing young man named Henry Gray Vick. Um, he, his carriage broke down, broke a wheel, and he came by Helen where she was staying to, to see if they would help fix his carriage. And they fell in love over the course of the few days he was there. Now, Henry Vick was somehow related to the man who founded the city of Vicksburg, Mississippi. Every source I read said something different. Some said it was his father. Some said it was his great uncle. And I really wasn't that interested to try to figure it out. <laughs> um, and for all I know, his his great uncle could have been his father. Who knows? <laughs> Lori is incredibly <laughs> salty about the story. Like, I don't I don't care. I Lori don't care. hates <laughs> everyone involved. In this You're rich story. assholes. You enslaved people. Right. Uh, but I will say I did find a picture of uh, young dashing Henry. Um, and I, it's kind of hot. He is very fucking hot. Like, yeah, no, I hate it. I was so mad when hot. I saw that picture. Even, <laughs> even, even it's, it's aged and it's, there's obviously some water damage and all kinds of stuff, but he was like, oh, he That's could get it, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was forced to stay there while his carriage was repaired and she was only 16, but she's like, yeah, I'm marrying that guy. And her mom who had lost a husband and whose other daughter was already often married said, no, you're going to wait till you're 20, which back in the 1840s and fifties was like, God, she might as well have just been waiting to be a spinster. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so they just, they had a long engagement and they set their wedding date for May 21st, 1859, Helen's 20th birthday. Oh, Jesus. So prior to the wedding, uh, Henry made plans to travel to New Orleans. Um, and again, de- depending on what sources you read, it's, it's different why he was there. Um, some say it was for business. Some say it was for like a bachelor party. I didn't think they did bachelor parties in the 1800s, but he was in New Orleans and he came across somebody that had been a former friend. Uh, one article said it was his best friend. whatever the guy saw him and was like i'm not drinking with you cheap bastard you screwed me over on some land uh and this guy was james stiff and so he's like i challenge you to a duel oh jesus and henry didn't want to look like a little bitch even though he had (laughs) promised helen he was going to behave himself and not do anything stupid yeah and so they decided they're going to meet in a field in mobile alabama for this duel Okay, They're going to go from New that. Orleans Thank to you. Mobile for this? I don't, I don't, maybe, like, that I don't know no if there was a legal me. thing or. Maybe. I wondered, was... because I know some towns did, um, you know, outlaw dueling, but I would not think New Orleans would be. Right. I don't so know. initiated and... New Orleans to Mobile now with the highway system. You're looking at a good three hours. Yeah, at least. Like, it's a good jog. Because, I mean, you got to cross the entire state of Mississippi. Right. You know? Well, I mean, it's the coast. The, yeah. yeah. So in the 1800s, that's like I, yeah, two days. Doesn't make any sense to me. But before this, he wrote out a will in which he left everything to Helen. And according to the legend, when the duel began, he shot into the air because he had promised Helen that he would not take another's life in a duel. He was going to behave himself. Stith was like, Guess what, motherfucker? He <laughs> shot no him, way. shot him in the fucking head, and he was Ooh. dead before he hit the ground. 
If we've learned nothing from Game of Thrones, it should be that <laughs> honorable shit gets you killed. Exactly, Ned Stark. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so while she's planning and decorating the church for her, uh, her upcoming wet wedding, Helen receives notice that her fiance had been killed via telegram that read, quote, Henry Vick killed today, May 17, in a duel at Mobile, Alabama. We'll bring body to Vicksburg on earliest steamer end quote so very traumatizing because i mean she's 19 she's not 20 yet and just like she was heartbroken just and this is days before the wedding right right despondent and the funeral procession took place on the evening that they were to be married so on her birthday his his funeral procession comes and she had she just she's like, he's getting buried at my church. So the chapel of the cross, he was buried there. And I did see this little article uh, that was published by the Mississippi Baptist on May 26. <laughs> oh, wow. What a reliable source. And I know just, just <laughs> the, the way it's phrased, like the, the flowery language. I'm like, I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs just so you can see just how the emotions were were running at this time. So it goes, quote, Mr. Vick's remains passed through this place on Sunday evening, accompanied by 12 young men of Vicksburg as pallbearers and immediate relatives and friends, including the lovely young lady to whom he was betrothed. It was a sad spectacle, sad to think that one so noble as he reputedly was, that just as he had actively entered upon life's arena with aspirations high and heart of generous throb. <laughs> oh, generous throb. Generous Why throb. Is that a band name? That's my drag name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should thus be sacrificed on that altar, which a false and deplorable state of public sentiment has griped with the name of honor. Tis sad to think of her who expected so soon to be arrayed as a bride, but now attired in the sable robes of mourning, her heart in anguish bleeding and scalding tears, bedewing her lover's grave. His remains were interred in Madison County amid the rural splendor that surrounds the home of her he loved so well. A weeping willow designates his grave, and flowers, pale flowers, are no doubt already planted in the turf that wraps his clay by the hand of true affection. Goodness. Like, what the, some flowery-ass language for a Baptist publication. I was going to say, what does a Baptist have to do with this anyway? They're Episcopals. Yeah, I, Episcopalian? Yeah. Episcopals? I don't know. I think it's Episcopalian. Yeah. So Helen's (laughs) mother, Margaret, would continue to live at Annandale, providing medical care to wounded Confederate soldiers during the Civil War. Now, I'm just going to say, I mean, I know not all of the Confederates were happy about it. And, you know, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't side with the bad guys. Right. Margaret. Uh, and Helen would eventually meet a man named Reverend George Carroll Harris, who is an Episcopal clergyman at the very church where she had buried her lost love. Now, Reverend Harris himself sounds like he was a pretty cool dude. He was considered a hero because his ass stayed in Memphis and aided the sick and dying during the yellow fever epidemic in Memphis. See episode two. Mm, see our mass so. grave see our mass graves episode for a I think very that good, was too. good telling yeah. of that event in memphis uh helen told him you know 
I'm pushing 30, but I'll make a good wife. Uh, I'm not going to love you as much as I love uh, Henry. So there's that, but you know, let's, let's do it. So they got married in August of 1862 and they had three children together, two boys and a girl. Both boys were named George, most likely because the eldest died when he was 10 days old. So George 2.0 came along and it's like, (laughs) got to carry on that family name. We're doing a do-over. Yes. And their daughter was, was named Helen original you know they were they not very the original yeah like i saw that and it was a cut there were a couple of helens so the daughter they had, like helen, two names they're like these are the ones yeah yeah, yeah. No, the the daughter helen had a child named helen and it's just like okay <laughs> uh otherwise it seemed like they lived a pretty uneventful but happy life they served their community and then they decided they're going to build their dream retirement home on a property that had been purchased by Helen's father many years earlier in Rolling Fork, Mississippi, that he called Helen's place. So naturally, Helen wanted to move there. Uh, Now, what they did next is how many horror movies of the 80s and 90s begin. They had this huge ass piece of property in the Delta, so it was fucking flat as balls, which I know (laughs) balls aren't flat, but you know, it's just fucking flat. Yeah. and they chose to build their house on top of a fucking Native American burial mound. Yeah. And so initially, from what I read, it was 36 feet tall, this burial Jesus. mound. And they excavated about 10 feet of it to build this fucking house. Did you come across that it was for burials? Because I'm like i did no. a little bit of research on this right I, I found it was just a mound i don't know if it's a they ceremonial one they don't or... know what it's for so i did okay. find so archaeologists ha- so initially there were three Which, mounds there yeah. but now there's only one that the house right. sits on top uh archaeologists have not been able to determine when exactly it was built and what it was used for they estimate It was built sometime after the year 1000 AD, but only four artifacts have been recovered from the site. Either way, um, it's building building a house on top of a Native American mound, no matter what she's for, is still just poor taste. Yeah, very. I mean, I just poor taste is the understatement. (laughs) Yeah, right. That that is that is just fucking awful. And uh, as they were getting ready to move in. I mean, their furniture was on rail cars, ready to go. The fucking house burned down. Yeah, that's a sign. Back that the fuck is a out. sign. <laughs> yeah, they were undeterred. They built that bitch again. Jesus, white people just be. Yeah, especially the Cassidy doing the most. <laughs> I love it. Yes, they they were extra. Uh, they rebuilt the house, which became one of the premier plantation homes in the Delta, complete with a private chapel on the second floor where the Reverend performed many christenings and weddings. The house was named Mont or Mount, depending on what you you read, Mont Helena, and the couple lived out their years there without incident. Reverend Harris died in 1911, and Helen passed six years later in 1917, and they were both buried in Mound Cemetery in Rolling Fork. Yes, Sheena. Why did they bother naming it Mont Helena when they were just so in love with the name is George and Helen? Why why go ahead and add that A on there? That makes it a totally different name. Yeah, I mean, it was probably to make it sound fancy. Yeah, probably because it was Helen's place. So now now to the legend of the Bride of Annandale, which, as you remember, Annandale was the mansion she lived in in Madison with her mother. 
and the ghost story at the heart of this story. So due to her despair after the, the death of her fiance and the fact that she was then living at Annandale, she earned the nickname, the Bride of Annandale. I'm not sure if people called her that to her face, but the nickname yeah. became especially important as she was dying and after her death. So according to those who were with her in her final hours, her last thoughts weren't with her husband of nearly 50 years, that man who worked tirelessly to help people who were dying of yellow fever. No, she was, her mind was on her lost love, Mr. Henry Vick. She apparently believed he was in the room with her and they were discussing plans for their upcoming wedding. And I don't. Bless her dying little heart. Yeah, I I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but it was in an article. So I'm going to include it. She uh, allegedly, quote, she called out to him, happy he had come for her at last. Oh, poor George. I know. Jesus Christ. He's just chopped liver. Yeah. So over the years, there have been reports of a young woman in mourning garb from Helen's era crying at the grave of Henry Vick at the Chapel of the Cross, uh, only to disappear when she's approached. There's also a ghost who's dressed in a white gown that appears at Mount Helena, uh, as well as orbs and photographs, footsteps on the stairs, and voices in the walls. It's probably those Native Americans who being like, fuck the their off. Yeah, yeah. So back in the '90s, so the house went into dis- disappear, disappear, despair, <laughs> disrepair, and it got restored in the '90s. I who cares by who um it's open to the public for tours weddings and proposals you can propose to your significant other on the property for three hundred dollars complete with roses and champagne on top of a native american mound yeah at a plantation no less right on if like seriously i've included a picture because it's so fucking ridiculous it's like flat ass cornfield and then uh-huh, it is 26 feet up this this big beautiful house it is ridiculous uh, small weddings so you and your significant other and about eight people during the week can have a wedding here at about 1700 dollars. <laughs> so do with that what you will but yeah that's that's the story of the Annandale, Annandale bride the ghost of Mont Helena and all that bullshit. If you are ever <laughs> getting married at a plantation, do not invite me. I will well, not be going. Well, don't do it. I think Ryan they Reynolds stay and Blake up. Lively learned that the hard yeah. way. Yes. Don't, don't. I mean, yes, it's it's important to remember history and all the fucking yeah. crazy shit that happened. So, yes, I do but believe But if you wouldn't have your wedding at Auschwitz, don't have your wedding at a plantation. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you have to think about it in terms of would you have your wedding at a forced labor camp? Yeah. I mean, that's, you put it that way. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I get it. These homes that, that were built by they're gorgeous. people, they're beautiful. And there's some amazing architecture in there. I'm not saying tear them down, but at least put some respect on the names of the people who right. built that house. Yeah. It was with not their hands, gone you know? with the wind. Well, and, and again, yeah. you, you lost me when you built the house on, the burial exactly. or the, the native american mound whether it if was you a burial want to mound, get divorced right, just... propose there because that's all the bad juju yeah, yeah. so 
Good job, Luhu. Thank you. Thank love you. Love it. I love it when Luhu is salty. <laughs> Just gets pissed <laughs> off, man. She's like, I hate every single one of these fuckers. <laughs> and I'm glad they're dead. Exactly. <laughs> All, All right. right. Okay. Mine's less salty. Shockingly. What? <laughs> I know. Once, but is it gorgeous? We'll see. Oh, God. <laughs> So, the woman in white is a popular myth across cultures. Things like La Llorona, which, if you're going to watch a La Llorona movie, I highly recommend the one that's on Shudder entirely in Spanish. It is brilliant. Read the subtitles, you'll be fine. It's it's a great one. People already read subtitles, so I'm like, why do you get annoyed when it's in a foreign film? Right. I have closed captions on everything because I can't hear without seeing it. So I, I keep having yeah. to turn them back on uh, Disney Plus and it's pissing me off. So like every time we try to watch She-Hulk, I have to like, Adam, turn the fucking captions on. I can't hear anything. Exactly. I had to turn them on for She-Hulk and I don't ever turn my captions on, but I had to for She-Hulk. I yeah. absolutely have to well, have you, them. You don't have dogs and tiny humans, so. That's no, true. I just. I have a sensory processing disorder. (laughs) Anyway. So the Wonder White popular myth across cultures and the subject of a truly wholesome early supernatural episode. Yep. Very Mm -hmm. early supernatural. I think it was the first one, right? First or second. First First or second. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it was the first. I think it was because then it was like Wendingo. Yeah. I hate that one. Because Sam comes home after doing the case and um, poor and Jessica's Jessica. getting barbecued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Spoiler alert is. for something that happened 20 years ago. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, usually it's a wife and mother spurned by an unfaithful husband who harms her children and then kills herself, usually jumping off a bridge. There is a subgenre, which includes a young, ill-fated teenage girl spurned by a boyfriend and then tragically killed in a car accident. There's been several movies with this basis, which brings us to the Chicago local legend of Resurrection Mary. I love her so much. I'm so excited you're doing this story. So I got a lot of this information um, from the lineup.com, which is a really great website. You should subscribe to them. They're wonderful. So Resurrection Mary, as she is called, was reportedly cited in 1939 when a man named Jerry Palace met a beautiful young blonde lady in a white dress at a local dance hall. After they danced together all night, Jerry offered her a ride home. She directed him to Archer Avenue, which is now in Liberty, Illinois, um, part of Chicago, basically, and had him stop in front of Resurrection Cemetery, where she vanished before reaching the gates. Decades later, tales of encounters with Reg- Resurrection Mary continued to surface. One of the most prominent sightings of the spirit was pr- reported in the Suburban Trib, which is, I guess, the subur- <laughs> suburbs version of the Chicago Tribune. In 1979, <laughs> a reporter named Bill Geist interviewed a man named Ralph for the article titled, Cryptic Rider Leaves Taxi Driver with the Willies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great. And as someone who has taken great pride in writing just ridiculous headlines during my career in newspapers, I thoroughly enjoyed that one. (laughs) 
the taxi driver did ask that his last name be withheld because he didn't want people to think he was crazy. (laughs) Oh, bless his heart. I assume most taxi drivers are crazy, but good for him. Ralph explained that he picked up a strange young woman in a white dress one evening who had directed him down Archer Avenue. She was mostly silent, except to remark that the snow had come early that year. When she abruptly requested that he stop in front of Resurrection Cemetery, Ralph slammed on the brakes. He looked away for only a moment when something happened that gave him the willies. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, when I turned around, she was gone, vanished. And the door never opened. May the good Lord strike me dead. It never opened. Such Chicago (laughs) vernacular. The stories of the girl behind the ghost vary. The prominent one is that Mary, as she came to be called, was out one evening with a boyfriend dancing at the O. Henry Ballroom, which is now the Willow Brook Ballroom. Ballroom. Jesus Christ. None (laughs) of us can talk tonight. We're doing our rest. They got into a spat. And she got mad and stormed off, as you do, to walk home alone. Now, how long of a walk this might have been? I don't know. But this is like when we had the car fight discussion. I get that you're mad at somebody, but don't go walking off alone. This is how bad things happen. Mm -hmm. That's how that one poor gal got taken by the Chicago Ripper crew. Just don't do it. You become a ghost and get serial murdered. It's not great. I do want to become a ghost, though. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. We've we've discussed my haunting uh, music yeah. of choice, yeah. um, which I told know. my boss about at a work dinner, and he promptly looked it up on iTunes and listened to it. Uh, <laughs> my boss is a septuagenarian Jewish Australian man, so that was intensely interesting. Uh, it's hi, a Dan, if you're listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but not long after departing, because it was dark in the middle of the night, she got hit by a car. The driver fled the scene, leaving her for dead. Mary's parents later found her body. When she was buried, they dressed her in a white gown and dancing shoes, and she was buried in Resurrection Cemetery. The young woman's spirit then rose from the grave and wanders the cemetery grounds and her favorite dancing places. Unlike other reported ghosts, it seems like this spirit does not hide from human contact. Rather, she seeks it out. She's here to fuck some shit up. And you know what, Mary? I respect it. Absolutely. Over the years, many researchers have attempted to pin the ghost's identity on different young women named Mary that were killed in automobile accidents in the late 20s and early 30s. I can imagine that number in Chicago, especially women named Mary, is pretty large. (laughs) A lot of Catholics around here. One theory proposes that the disturbed spirit is Mary Brigovi, a 21-year-old woman who was killed in 1934 when the driver of the vehicle she was riding in crashed into something on the side of the road. Another possibility is Anna Norcas, whose devotion to the Virgin Mary led her to adopt Marija, Lithuanian for Mary, as her middle name. Norcus was killed. Norcus. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Norcus was killed in an automobile accident in 1927 on her way home from an evening spent at the O. Henry Ballroom. However, Mary Bergovi was a brunette and Anna was just shy of 13 years old. Ooh, oh, yeah. Neither matching the description yeah. of a blonde in her early 20s. They also weren't involved in hit and run accidents. 
leaving the true identity of Resurrection Mary a mystery. Another chilling aspect of this local legend includes the cemetery itself. So the cemetery is about 540 acres, making it one of the largest and possibly most haunted cemeteries in North America. I will let Savannah and New Orleans fight that out. Um, Though one of my coworkers went to Savannah and asked a ghost tour guide, which was more haunted, Savannah or New Orleans. And I was like, Steve, were you trying to get hit? Because you're going to get hit. Bless your heart. I know you're a Yankee, but don't go doing that stuff. (laughs) One night, a man reported to see a young woman who looked like she was locked in the cemetery. When the police officer went to go check out the scene, he didn't see anyone there. But the bars of the gates of the cemetery looked scorched and warped. There are pictures Mm. of it. It really does look like it had just been twisted. Yeah. However, authorities, being the killjoys that they are, said it got hit by a truck. But the legend still says that Resurrection Mary seared the bars with her hands as she grasped them, trying to free herself from the cemetery. Aww. So the rumor is, if you go on Archer Avenue at midnight, you will see her. I have not done this because I do not go out after 10 o'clock anymore, um, <laughs> as I am an old lady and I like to be in bed. But... That is the rumor. If you go on Archer Avenue at midnight, you will find Resurrection Mary. I'm dying to do that. Yes. Like, I checked and it's not because like I wanted to go see where H.H. Holmes's house was and everyone was like, please do not go into that neighborhood. You will yeah. die. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but the area where um, the Resurrection Cemetery is, is it bad? So I'm like, I could arguably be out there at midnight and not get shot in the face, but that would involve being awake at midnight. And I have not done that in quite some time. (laughs) Same. And I would think you'd be okay if you'd be in your car the whole time. Right. Well, even you're not going to get out and jog. (laughs) No. I mean, and even in Chicago, if you're in a car, it's still, it still might be fair game, but yeah, but (laughs) you know, we're, oh, go go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go. No, I was just going to be like, it'd be Chicago like that. (laughs) (laughs) It would. No, I was just going to say my favorite, you want to talk about what scared me as a child, um, potential spoiler alert for next week's episode (laughs) was the resurrection Mary segment on unsolved mysteries. Yes. When that couple saw her and she didn't have a face. Yes. Baby Sheena lost it. Baby Sheena had nightmares about um, that. It Apparently they've me. done two um unsolved mysteries episodes. Yeah. Um I've seen one. So I think I've seen them both and then I was literally just watching Mysteries at the Museum before I hopped on this call with y'all. Why not? And what episode did I see? The Resurrection Mary episode. I love it. I chose it cuz it said Resurrection Mary. I was like my favorite. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Which they pretty well told that story that you told the the original 1939 story. And that's a classic. Mm-hmm. That's a classic. Yeah. And I was actually looking it up um, on because they have a website, the Catholic Cemeteries of Chicago. And um, nice. one of the things lists self-serve kiosk available. 
Oh yeah, they do that at some cemeteries now. Where if you want to go find somebody, you go up to the. Oh okay, because I was like, yeah. no, that's am I just is. rolling up with remains? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, that's I know at Bonaventure Cemetery in Savannah they have one because I've found, okay, so it's I found to Henry Hervey. People. I gotcha. The the author I found his grave by doing that. Okay, because um, I asked someone who worked like, there and they were like, I don't know who that is, and I was her, like, her? okay. And yeah, you go up to the little kiosk, you type in the name, and they like tell you where to find them. Okay. So it's very helpful. Yeah, I saw self-serve kiosk and was like, <laughs> what is happening here? Yeah, excuse me. Hi, can I press a button and get like someone's arm? Exactly. <laughs> like, can am I, I just finger? burying someone like this? <laughs> yeah. Hey, earn here. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So to wrap us up. I have a true crime story. Woo! Hell yeah. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I kind of low-key love it when there is a funny little rhyme about a murder. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Jinx. We have got to stop jinxing each other. You have to continue. It's the Um, absolutely's. We say it in the same tone and everything. (laughs) We're just both so excited. Yes. Um, Like, uh, you know, Lizzie Borden took an axe. We all know how that one goes. Well, picture it. Memphis, Tennessee, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh. The murder didn't take place a couple of oh. weeks ago. This oh. is how I found out about it. Okay. I couldn't find any other good way to enter into the story. It's fine. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Memphis with my friends Leslie and Cheryl. And Leslie brought up the story. Um, she's a, a little bit older than me. And she said she remembered growing up and her and her sister riding their bikes around Memphis and hearing the rhyme. Fred Montese killed his wife with a bloody butcher knife. And she's like, so what's the story behind that? I'm like, well, God, Leslie, I don't know. Like, I know a lot of true crime stories in Memphis. I don't know all of them. So is it true? Did Fred Montese kill his wife with a bloody butcher knife? Um, (laughs) There was a Fred Montese in Memphis, but it was not him. Was it Gaddy Keltner Montese? (laughs) Bienvenue and Montese. No. Damn it! I do not know if they are kin. I mean, I would think so, but then again, these are, um, bless their hearts, Italian Catholics, and they have a lot of babies. Oh yeah, so, there um, are a those lot of Montesi from the mid south. The Gaddy Keltner, Bienvenue and Montesi were like the Billboard lawyers. Yes, so. yeah, and I don't know if they're even called that now. Yeah, I think Montesi so. Have his own like he he goes, practice. it's easy with Montesi. <laughs> love it. Yeah, so I don't know if he is connected to this family. I I would assume so, but I also have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm going to preface the story by saying, for one, um, every family has a black sheep. And I'm going to talk about the black sheep. We all got um, one. Because I think the rest of the Montese family is pretty upstanding. But I think this one guy was maybe not. Also, this is, um, I don't want to bring us down with a lot of uh, depressing subject matter. But this this story does have it. I'm going to try to gloss over the worst of it but it does include a lot of domestic violence and mention of a suicide so so who what montese did kill his wife well allegedly (laughs) we're putting that in big air quotes don't sue me uh was fred's son lewis and he may or may not have killed his wife evelyn no so 
Louis Frank Montesi Sr. was born June 27th, 1918. That makes him a cancer. And Evelyn Brunner was born June 14th, 1913. That makes her a Gemini. So she was a little older than him. What was oh, your question? That was almost my niece's birthday. Aww. She was June 13th. Uh, so the two of them, I don't know much about their childhoods, but they got married in June 1937. Um, both of them did come from wealthy families, especially uh, Lewis. As I mentioned, his father, Fred Montesi, was a wildly successful businessman in Memphis. He owned a lot of grocery stores, not just in Memphis, but across the Mid-South. Uh, I think they were initially called Liberty Cash uh, grocery stores. And Lewis went into the grocery business like his dad. This success just continued. Um, they enjoyed, I mean, in every newspaper story, it talks about how wealthy the Montesi family is. Um, at one time, the Montesi family owned the biggest grocery store in Memphis, and they pioneered 24-hour grocery shopping. Oh. So the fact that you can go to Kroger at 2 in the morning, you have the Montesis to thank, which I thought was cool. Hell Yeah. Um, so fast forward to November 1965. Uh, the couple's been married for 28 years by now. They have five kids. Their youngest, the, there are other ones, but I'm not going to get into them. I'm only going to mention their youngest daughter, Vicki, who was about seven, 16, 17 at the time of this murder. So it is November 2nd, 1965. The Montesi family are at home. Um, it is a home that from what I can tell is still there on Perkins extended. I'm not going to tell exactly where it is. <laughs> I'm just going to say it's kind of near the intersection of Poplar and Perkins and the Laurelwood shopping center, which gives you, if you are in Memphis, you know exactly where that is. Um, anyway, they were, it was a very nice house. All the newspapers talked about what a fancy house it was and so luxurious. Um, the Montesis lived there with Vicky, obviously, because she's 16. And then Lewis's mother uh, lived there. She had like her own like mother-in-law space. Nice. So the basic story is the couple had um, earlier in the week come home from a trip to the Bahamas and they were having dinner with the family and a couple of their older children who were married had dropped by to have dinner, listen to the stories about the Bahamas, all this great stuff. Um, Vicki at one point had went out with a boyfriend. She came back home. Um, and about nine o'clock, the family is kind of starting to retire, starting to you know put on their PJs and start slowly, but surely kind of going to bed. Um, about 9.40, 9.30, 9.45, the time depends on what newspaper you read, which, mm -hmm. oh God, I've read so many. <laughs> A newspaper called the police and said her neighbor, Louis Montesi, had showed up at her house asking her to call the police because he'd been robbed. Police arrived. They searched the house. Uh, the house is in disarray. There's um, all kinds of furniture, you know, broken and turned over, and there's blood throughout the house. And they find Evelyn, who is 52, outside on the grass. Uh, she had a gunshot wound to the chest. Oh. And ugh. she had also lost a part of a finger. And I think that was because maybe she put her hand right. yeah, to try to stop. Bless her heart. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lewis had scratches on his neck, a puncture wound on his forehead, and a cut on the back of his head. Uh, somebody call... Um... You know who I'm talking about. Oh my god, the name just left me. The narrator from Dateline. 
Keith Morrison. Yes. I'm wearing my Dateline <laughs> shirt right now. His name is at the bottom. I couldn't see it. Somebody <laughs> let me, me see. Okay. Who, uh, the order. Lester, Lester Andrea, Andrea, Dennis, Dennis Josh, Josh and Keith. And Keith. I need that. Yes. I love the Dateline shop. I wish I had everything in it. Anyway, we'll remember that for Christmas. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so according to Lewis, uh, he told the police that, yes, the kids had come over. They had had dinner. They go to bed. Um, and then Lewis said he got a phone call um, where someone said, is this Lewis Montese? And he said, yes. And the caller hung up. Oh. A few minutes later, he said the doorbell rang. And then he heard his wife scream, robbers, robbers. So he jumped up, ran into the room where his wife was, and she's laying on the floor, and there's a man standing over her. He claimed the man had, like, um, stocking over his face, you know, like the 1960s right. kind of burglar. And he tried to run away, but the two of them got into a scuffle. He was injured, and then he's not sure what happened after that. He ran off, ran to the neighbor to call for help. He told this story several different times to several different cops. Throughout the evening, they all noticed little discrepancies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, they, of course, do question um, the, the daughter. Um, and she told later on the stand, and while she did, she was um, testifying for the defense. But she did say she heard, um, she was upstairs, I think, like, listening to records or something. She said she heard a couple of noises, and then she thought she heard don't kill me, don't kill me, Vicky, help, help, which was her mother's voice. She didn't hear a gunshot, but she did call her boyfriend and say, I think my parents are fighting. And she was scared to leave her bedroom. Um, her parents, she did testify her parents had fought before and it had gotten violent. So she was scared. Makes sense. Now, later at the morgue, a mortician found skin beneath Evelyn's nails and as we remember Lewis had scratches around his neck mm-hmm. but there's not enough blood to determine the blood type and that's really all they can pull because it's 1965 right um but also investigators just didn't do an amazing job on this like they never got fingerprints in the house oh jeez. Like, yeah um they did test Lewis's hands for gunpowder they were negative um, he gave the cops a gun that he owned, but it was not the murder weapon. Um, he denied murdering his wife, and instead he blamed a man named Donald Bursacola. Y'all just hang on for this <laughs> one. Donald is from Boston. Donald sells buggies, or as <laughs> you Yankees call them, shopping carts. Oh, okay. I call them buggies. Um, he uh, said he wasn't sure because of the stalking but he said the voice matched donald's voice and that he had heard that same voice on the phone call right mm-hmm. well the montesis had met donald um sometime earlier i forget exactly when and they had meetings with him because of course him being a buggy salesman and then the montesis owning in a grocery store you know hand in hand um they had had met with him in boston they met with him in memphis but he had visited the Montezis about a month before the murder on a business trip, and he had hung out with them at their house. And according to Donald, um, Lewis got into it with Evelyn, partly because she had stayed up drinking with Donald, and Lewis thought that was distasteful. Mm. And he started, 
in Donald's words, slapping her around and he tried to intervene. Lewis kicked him out. Now he said he hadn't been in touch with Donald in the week since then. And he just assumed that Donald went back to Boston, but he's like, but I'm pretty sure this was the guy that broke into my house and killed my wife. So he has no idea where Donald is. Guess what? Donald's in Memphis. Oh, <laughs> so, Police find him about six hours later. They did not do a gunshot residue test on him, by the way. Um, hmm. So he was staying in a hotel in Memphis. He had tried to make a, a business meeting with someone and it fell through. So he was sitting in his hotel room eating a box of chicken and... <laughs> uh so as he, you do as you do in memphis i'm like yes that is the meal of memphis a box of chicken maybe some barbecue um and then he said he um was sitting in his hotel hotel room where he called his wife who was pregnant uh back home in boston then he also called his girlfriend who was oh. in boston oh remind you of anybody hannah mm-hmm. <laughs> this is yeah there's a uh, we a lot more coming with the girlfriend y'all just wait just wait just wait y'all yes the messiest story i've ever heard oh i love it he claims he went to sleep and was awoken a couple of hours later by his wife and the boston police calling him to say the memphis cops were looking for him and he didn't know why and then they came and they got him um so he's not looking good for the murder but you know what so is neither is lewis um lewis had a drinking problem He had been arrested several times in the prior 20-ish years on all kinds of charges from DUI to disorderly conduct. Um, And then this is where things get messy. Um, In 1963, Lewis had been sued in connection with a suicide by Margaret Lancaster. Very, very, very long story short, he had had an affair with Margaret. They were both married at the time. Um. They'd been having an affair for about a year and Lewis had basically talked her into divorcing her husband and he kept her up in an apartment, but he was also very abusive toward her. Are we Mm. shocked? And she jumped off the original um, Mississippi, Arkansas bridge in 1962, leaving behind a note that said, I've taken all the beatings I can from Lewis. The suit was brought up by her mother and brother but Lewis eventually won the suit and he claimed the affair. Um, he had the affair because Evelyn was diabetic and was sick all of the time. And I'm like, Oh, oh fuck you. I don't, buy that. I don't buy that, but okay, whatever. Anyway. So Lewis was charged with first degree murder and the trial took place the following spring. He continued to allege that Donald was the murderer. Um, and his attorney said, you know, there's no way he could have known Donald was in Memphis. So how did he just pull this out of a hat that Donald was there and was, you know, attacking his family? Um, also, Donald had racked up a lot of miles on his rental car. So they were like, oh, clearly he'd been dri- driving around Memphis plotting to kill Evelyn Montese. But um, he claimed he had gotten lost, which is fair. <laughs> You're not from there. Um, there was also a man living near Donald's hotel room that claimed to find bullets in his trash that matched the bullets that were used to kill Evelyn. And the the like I said, the guy who found the trash, his house was near Donald's hotel. So it's not looking great for Donald. Um, but the prosecution is like, no, obviously he did it and made up this story about the robber. 
Um, he said it was suspicious that Lewis ran across the street for, to call for help, leaving supposedly his wife, daughter, and mother alone in the house with the robber. Um, he also, Lewis also made a fuss about the wound on his head, but never mentioned that his wife was injured or shot or <laughs> anything. Um, he just kept telling the neighbor, oh, look at my head, look at my head. You know. <laughs> Lewis was found guilty of inv- involuntary manslaughter and was given a sentence of, do y'all want to guess? Five years. Five months. Two to ten years. <laughs> but close enough. He remained out on a $10,000 bond while he filed appeals. Oh, it was geez. originally a $20,000 bond, but the judge reduced it to ten because Lewis had roots in the community. Of course he did. Of and course. I just say, this entire story is nothing but white man being just calls him a ruckus. Everybody. Oh, yeah. I was just yeah. so mad the whole time. And he just this. killed and, his wife. Gosh. Yeah. And I'm like, I get it. He is a well-known man in the community, but he just found guilty. Oh my God. Anyway, now after the trial, I mentioned Donald's girlfriend. That was Sandra Hunt. She claimed Donald confessed to the murder and that he had uh, to kill Evelyn because she recognized him despite his disguise. I don't know why he would even go in there to kill Evelyn anyway, Mm -hmm. but Um, She claimed she didn't tell the story during the trial, even though she had testified because she thought the state had enough evidence to um, let Lewis go. So they didn't have enough evidence uh, to convict Lewis. So anyway, this conviction was overturned by the state Supreme Court. Lewis was granted a new trial in 68. He was then found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Sentenced this time to, who wants to guess? Six years two months <laughs> one to three years <laughs> one two three years y'all i can't find any i couldn't find anything that said he sent, spent time in jail for two oh years. i'm sure yes. he didn't i'm sure he didn't but because he did file all these appeals right and that conviction was overturned by the criminal tennessee criminal court of appeals and in february 1971 lewis was officially cleared of all charges related to the death of his wife evelyn they just didn't want to pay for it again to do a trial. I don't, I mean, to me, there's pretty good evidence that Donald was, obviously Donald was not an upstanding guy. He was, you know, mm-hmm. cheating on his pregnant wife. And then you also have Lewis over here, who is an, a domestic abuser. I'm like, I, both of you are, are terrible people and I, I don't know who did it. I'm going to guess Lewis, but I also don't know. Technically, allegedly. Yes, <laughs> he was he was cleared of all charges. Jesus. However, <laughs> Lewis's love life became a bit of a roller coaster ride after Evelyn's death. I would hope so. Uh, in 1968, Lewis became engaged to his nurse Betty Hall. He had of had course. a tumor removed earlier that year, and Boo. she nursed him back to hell. Oh. Um, now you will not be shocked when you hear that Betty filed for divorce just two years later in 1970. Seems like this guy's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then Lewis was back in court in 1973 to divorce wife number three, Shirley Riddle, um, who was almost half his age. Um, <laughs> this was another very messy marriage, and these two marriages when you read about the divorce proceedings they're exactly the same each wife both shirley and betty claimed that he was a violent drunk um that he beat them and and they both had to get restraining orders against him i think Mm -hmm. and then his defense always was well 
these wives, Betty and Shirley, he claimed the same thing about both. They just wanted me for my money and they were always hounding <laughs> oh, me to spend goodness. more money. And I'm like, oh God forbid you spend a dollar. They anyway, were asking for it. Yeah. Um, they had married sure he had married Shirley in May of 72, but they were separated by July. So that was a whirlwind three-month marriage. Shirley was granted a restraining order against him because he threatened her that she, quote, could easily met her meet her end as easily as Evelyn did. Mm-hmm. Or she could meet her end as easily as Evelyn did. Oh, which to me you don't say unless you did it. Anyway, Louis Montesi departed this life on March 3rd, 1982, at the age of 63. His obit mentioned his widow, Rita, who <laughs> had married a fourth time. Now, Evelyn and Louis Montesi are both buried at the second largest Catholic cemetery in Memphis, which is Calvary Cemetery. There are a lot of uh, Montesi family members buried there, including Louis's dad, Fred, who, as we have determined, did not kill his wife with a bloody butcher, butcher knife. <laughs> Possibly, maybe Lewis did with a gun. Justice but... for Fred. Yes. Yeah, justice for Fred. Um, but here's my favorite thing. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh about this because people are dead. <laughs> Evelyn's monument has her name and dates. It's very lovely. There's a cross on it. Lewis's monument lists his name, his dates, and the message loved and missed by your rita angel baby what that's the widow rita angel baby by your rita angel baby oh that is just jesus and i don't know when he married her but i'm this is a trailer park this is the honeymoon period like she apparently did not know because the other two wives said they were shocked at how much he drank and they didn't really realize the extent of his drinking until after they'd married him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Rita, wow. I don't, I'm not sure that you knew him just yet. He was probably like 12. <laughs> probably. Um, but yeah, so that's the story behind um, the phrase that, like I said, my friend Leslie told me Fred Montese killed his wife with a bloody butcher knife. But again, let me say Man. Fred Montese did not kill his wife with a bloody butcher knife. So wow. there you go. That's, that's very neat. That's my local legend. Yes. That was such a Memphis story. <laughs> of course it was. <sighs> yes. The whole time I was reading it, I'm like, there are so many men in this story that just could do better just do better guys like be faithful to your to your wives don't go out and like you know beat people don't mess with other people like gee whiz there was this one really great part i will say this and then we're gonna go because we're all yawning (laughs) i know we're like i meant to write this out and i said no sheena i'm not going to include every single detail in this story but here i am that at one point after I think some of the trials, which Donald did sue Lewis for defamation because obviously he was accusing him of murder. Right. I don't know who won that. I, I couldn't find that. Um, Lewis Montese was in the newspapers a lot. So there was a lot to read in this. Either way, um, something about they were seeing them all off and he was there with maybe this was, I can't remember when this was, but Donald like kissed. Um, like one of the Montese ladies on the mouth or cheek or something saying goodbye, like his mother, and then kissed another one on the cheek and then kissed another one cheek. And then he got to Lewis and Lewis was like, don't kiss me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't need Donald and Lewis to smooch out here. Mm -hmm. Okay. This actually reminds me. So where 
I'm from in Arkansas is like 45 minutes from Memphis. Like we're not very mm-hmm. far. And one of my high school teacher's brother used to run a strip club in Memphis <laughs> and he got sent to prison for money laundering through said strip club. And I think Sheena, I think you know who the guy, his last name was Owens. I don't know. But yeah, so Memphis crime has a soft spot in my heart. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, though, because in, in looking up all these newspaper stories, oh my, I've never read so many newspaper stories for a, for a story before. And I'm sure I missed some serious details in this, but I'm hoping this is the gist. Um, there was some mention on the front of commercial appeal appeal or press scimitar i'm not sure which one that said um it was something about could strip joints come back over across the river danny owens danny owens he was a notorious kingpin of memphis's strip clubs Ooh, but yeah he got out of prison in 2016 okay Maybe he turned his life around. <laughs> his mom, yeah, or his pony. sister was one of my favorite um, high school teachers. So. I thought for a half a second you were going to say one of your favorite strippers. <laughs> you know, if she did, I don't know about it. And that is between her and the Lord. Hey, so nothing against a stripper now. Right? We, we love, we love it. it. Get that money. Um, so yeah, so these are our local legends ish. Um, please don't go around town saying Fred Montese killed his wife with the right because it's apparently <laughs> not true. And um, because ADHD is a hell of a drug, I looked up the Dateline store. They have a life-size cardboard I cutout know. of Keith Morrison. For only, yes, like, for only like $45. $45. Yep. Those things are like a hundred bucks if you buy them of like yep. I know. movie stars. I, so. I really want those blankets. I know. Blankets yeah. So like I'm that. really considering getting the cardboard cutout for my office. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. I mean, Keith Morrison is, is he's an icon. If you're going to talk about legends. Keith, what is the Instagram? Keith leans on things. Is yeah, that what it's called where yeah. he's always leaning on something. I love. Oh, it. I love Dateline. Oh, it is my jam. All right, so next week we're going to talk about childhood, creepy childhood stories, stories from our childhoods that creeped us out. Maybe where they came from. Um, we're going to take it back to some um, scary stories to tell in the dark and and other yeah. stuff like that, and just uh, look up the real stories behind some of that, or just share tell, scary stories tell things, whatever yeah. it's, spooky season. it's spooky yeah. season so spooky season heck yeah I'm movies movies and books we should not have been watching and reading <laughs> as children because we the did. 80s were wild yeah, yeah the 80s were. man those yep. movies freddy krueger fucked me up i didn't watch that till like a year or two ago i thought i was, I was a lot older with that mm-hmm. one no i thought he was under my bed so i would like run and jump onto my bed so he couldn't get me like i said ghoulies just the the cover of Ghoulies. yeah we're gonna discuss some amazing 80s horror y'all yes. get ready yeah. Everything. yes um, take a little break from from the usual norm the heavy from, <laughs> from, from the, the, the real season. life horrors of the world yes, exactly yeah. exactly um luhu where can they find us we are on facebook instagram and twitter at cemetery row pod or you can send us an email to cemetery at gmail.com 
um, please do that. Please send us an email and let us know how you found us. Um, please leave us a review on whatever social social <laughs> podcast platform you're listening to us. Tell on your friends about us. Tell your friends. Yes. Please, please. We... And look, if you tag us or like, because somebody, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, put in their like Instagram stories that they were listening yeah. to us. We see those and we get really excited. Yes, and we the, we, the group we chat we freaks scream. out. So <laughs> we yeah. love that. So yes. yeah, um, be sure to, like I said, sh- share with your friend. It just, just say, hey, y'all, I have a podcast recommendation. Here yes. it is. Like, yes. just funsies. Um, and also, as always, thanks to Derek, our editor and yes. producer and all that. Thanks to Revenge Body for making our incredible theme song. Um, he just had a show in Memphis a couple weeks ago. Hello. And I wanted to go to it, but, you know, I had other, I had family stuff to attend to, so I had to miss it. But, um, but yeah, so fun times all around. Yes. Um, and welcome to spooky season, y'all. Yes. Yay! Woo! All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.